and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. All right, so uh, big news this week. The Oscar nominations have been announced. For those of you listening, that was like last week for you guys, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Was that last week? It was... Oh, yeah, I guess, um, I guess it was last week. I mean, it, it was after we recorded our uh, Cutthroat Island episode. That's true. But it was uh, before... The, so yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, anyway, they're out there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess first of all, like, what are your thoughts about the Oscars in general? Do you do you pay much attention to the awards when they come around? I do. Um, well, first of all, like the ceremony itself is usually a fun night. It's an entertaining show to watch. And I think it's important to look at it in that way and not to take the awards themselves too seriously, like mm-hmm. a lot of people tend to do. Um, they, In a way, they're meaningless. It's not like, oh, that won Best Picture, therefore it is the best film of the year. Right. Like, it's you can't think that way. Um, because it's all, it, you know, it's your personal preference and your personal tastes yeah, goes into it. What it is, what I like about it, uh, like, looking at it, like, from, like... Uh, like looking back over the years and everything, like from a historian sort of sense, like it's, it's how how to know like what Hollywood thinks of itself. Yeah, each year. definitely. It's a good way to look at like what the mindset was in the film industry yeah. and the popular sort of zeitgeist of, and it, it oftentimes it's it's just as important to look at what films like weren't nominated or didn't win, right? As opposed to the ones that were, and at the same time. If a film is nominated for Best Picture, the voting process is very secretive. You don't know who votes for what unless they come out and say, oh, I voted for this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, for all we know, things are winning by, like, one vote and stuff like that. So, you know, you get an occasion, like, um, when Crash won over Brokeback Mountain, Certain people were like, oh, well, it just shows, it, it just goes to show, like, Hollywood's not ready for a gay love story yet. And it's like, well, no, it was nominated yeah, for Best Picture. For right all we know, it was just one vote away from winning. We like, Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I, I try to watch all of them, I, and not just, like, for each year. Like, I try to watch every single film that has ever been nominated for yeah, Best Picture. you have this almost uh, compulsive Sure. Disorder. Sure. To, uh, how long have you been? How long have you been collecting the nominees and like actively seeking them out and trying to watch them all? Um, I don't know. Maybe six or seven years now. Uh, but I, I'm more concerned with watching them than owning them at this point because because every year it that, gets that... dangerous when you uh, <laughs> start to try to buy all of them. Yeah, especially now that there are ten nominees a year. Well, this year we got nine. Are there only? And nine? last year I think there was nine. Right. Right. But it still is like it's more than know, five. So yeah. even if you're buying like uh, <laughs> them at ten dollars a piece for, per DVD, that's still an extra forty to fifty dollars that you'd be having to shell out. And there's still uh, at last count there were uh, 199 that I haven't seen yet. So if I was to buy those, yeah, no, I don't. How many movies total have been nominated for Best Picture? Uh, I'm not sure. Um. What is this? The eighty sixth year, eighty fifth. The first one was nineteen twenty eight. 
there were six that year, technically, because there were two categories for Best Picture. Right. There was Most Artistic <clears throat> Success, and there was Best Production. Um, and then there were two runners-up in each of those. At this point, like, over the years, they've the Academy has changed the history books, which is weird. Like, um, there are a couple movies that used to be listed as nominees for those years, that, or for that year, that are no longer listed. Like what? Uh, I know The Last Command was one of them, the Joseph von Sternberg film with uh, Emil Jannings. Um, I don't remember what the other one was. It's odd how they can do that. It, but there, there was no... The, sort of removed for, like, political reasons? Well, the voting or? process was very odd. So, um, like, it was a very small amount of people voting on them. There wasn't, like, a, here's the list of nominees. It was just, like... I think they just voted on what they gotcha, thought were the best gotcha. ones, and then there were some. Oh, these ones almost won too. What? But, can you imagine if that's what it was like? Like if um, it was kind of just every, all the Academy members. Each vote is just basically like write in whatever movie you want. That'd be ridiculous. There'd be so many like ties for th- like. <laughs> yeah, and you'd just get like because everyone voting is like in the industry as well. Yeah. So like you just have basically everyone voting for their own productions. Well, that I mean over the years that comes into account with, with things like um uh 1967. Well, the the awards in 1968 which were for the films that came out in 1967. Um was in the heat of the night one. Um well one of the nominees there there were like some groundbreaking films in there in the heat of the night one bonnie and clyde and the graduate were nominated guess who's coming to dinner was up which tried to be groundbreaking but was pretty whatever um and then you got dr doolittle which is a horrible movie (laughs) but the reason is because there a lot of people worked on that movie and they all got to vote right right and all those people who worked at 20th century fox at the time which, in spite of The Sound of Music two years earlier, was already starting to flounder again. They wanted their film in there, and that was... I mean, they'd done other movies that came out that year, but for some reason they were like, Dr. Doolittle. We're going to nominate Dr. Doolittle. Maybe it's, because it's it just system. had like a wider sort of mass appeal? It didn't, though. Nobody liked that movie. <laughs> I mean, I've heard people who say they like it who saw it when they were children it'd be like warner which... brothers in 2002 pushing like we're going with pluto nash <laughs> <laughs> which... everyone put all your votes into pluto nash <sighs> it's got action it's got comedy it's <laughs> got <Romance>. music <laughs> robots yeah <clears throat> we'll get to pluto nash later but um but there i don't know it's, it's just interesting to like look at the way it's changed and it's it is weird, though, that there's, like, nine movies this year, and there's ten other years, and there were five for so long. And, like, for two years, in 1934 and 1935, there were twelve. Yeah. It's also frustrating when you're trying to watch all the movies from, like, each year, and um, the only year of, like, ten nominees that I've seen all of them for was 1939, but there are some where I've seen, like, six of them. Mm-hmm. So if it was regular, like, five film <laughs> It's year, like, isn't like, that good enough? Know. I've watched six of your damn movies. Yeah. yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on? Well, I mean, Oscar? I think it's you know it's important not to take it too seriously, right? Um, and kind of like what you said, like I, I made I started this like list of like important films, 
um, a few years ago, and I haven't really... It, for a while, I was updating it quite regularly. But it sort of is a combination of, like... You take, like, all of the uh, sort of standard best-of lists and combine them all into one sort of thing. So, like, all of, like, AFI's top, you know, 100 movies and every list that they did for, like, 10 years in a row, I think they would release, like, a new sort of, like, list. And every year they have, like, a list of top 10 movies. It's, like, all of that, like, all of the Oscar nominations, the best picture, um, best foreign language, and then best animated films. Um, And once you sort of, like, combine all these different things and put them into this one sort of chronology that you can look at, it, it is interesting how certain it, it it's a good sort of uh just an indicator of what the time was like if you wanted to look mm. at like you know what was what was the state of of film in like 1956 for instance and you can just go and look and be like all right well these are the films that were nominated these are like you know and you can get a sense of like what was going on in the world at the time like what people's uh tastes were People like apparently and... loved really long movies. That's the nineteen fifty six is the year of of the films of, of the years with five nominees, that one would take the longest to watch the five films. They're all really? over two hours. Was uh like Ben Hur that year? No, that was fifty nine. Fifty six is around the world in eighty days one. <laughs> it takes you eighty days to watch it. <laughs> it feels like it. Uh what else? Um Giant Friendly Persuasion. Uh, the King and I, and something else. Some long thing. Some long thing. But, yeah, I mean... And you, you gotta figure, like, how many of those... Is It's just interesting to see what people sort of put forward. You know, what, what the film industry puts forward. is like, this is the best that we have to offer this year. Um, and how many of them are kind of just, like, forgotten or lost to time, you know? Even just, like, within the past ten years, there are so many Oscar-nominated yeah. movies that are, like, you know, in Oscar winners, like, Best Picture winners that are kind of just, like, you know, I mean, how, how much of a lasting appeal do they really have? And that's part of why they went back to ten mm-hmm. or nine, depending on the math of each year. Because um, there were a few years in a row where the Oscar uh, telecast was, like, it had, like, the lowest... Uh, ratings ever because the movies being nominated weren't movies that anybody cared about. Yeah. Um, so they wanted to inject it with like, you know, some more popular Yeah, they were like, and, oh, you know, if we had 10, like the thing they would always mention was like, oh, if we had had 10 this past year, uh, The Dark Knight would have mm-hmm. been nominated and everybody would have watched. And like some people took that to mean like, oh, The Dark Knight was really good but not good enough to make the top five. But what they meant was it was so popular and good that right. it, um, but yeah, I mean, there were like, have you ever seen the reader? Yes. I or have you seen have the, seen the I, reader. I saw the reader. Yeah. Was, okay. Cause that's one that like, not a lot of, even in the, when Hugh Jackman yeah, was he, hosting, he makes the, a the joke reader. about, I never saw the, reader. I never seen the reader. <laughs> yeah. That, that's funny that that but, line you remember, that's the only bit from that entire like award ceremony that like I specifically remember. <laughs> And I really liked Hugh Jackman as a host that year. I don't know. Um, yeah, he did a really good job. Yeah. It, was, it was very entertaining. Um, but what else? And like movies like Michael Clayton and um, 
trying to think of other, oh in the I don't even remember which year it might have been that year that um, Slumdog Millionaire won mm. yeah that was which, that was 2008 I think. And, and like a lot of people saw that movie but it wasn't like a blockbuster or anything like that no um, it is a good movie though have you seen it I still haven't seen it I, I bought it on DVD and five minutes in the DVD just started freaking out and um, so no I, yeah. I you know that that's a it is a really it's a great movie um but yeah it's just funny how i don't know everything gets whittled down and once once the nominees are sort of like announced there's this weird sort of mental thing where all of a sudden you just kind of forget about every other movie yeah that came out that year and you just kind of like you know because over the course of the next like month or month and a half or however it is long until the next until the uh, award ceremony Mm -hmm. And then once you're watching the awards, you know, everyone makes their predictions of who they think is going to win and blah, blah, blah. Like, you get, it's easy to get wrapped up in that and to the point where, like, you just forget about everything else that, like, is maybe better than a lot of the movies that are nominated. But you wind up saying, like, you know, oh, I think this movie should win because it's one of the nominees. And you're like, you know, you end up rooting for a movie that, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's not, like, the best, maybe, or... And this year I, I saw... Actually, every well lately, I seem to watch two of the nominees. And this year, I thought I would see more because a couple of movies that I watched, I expected to be nominated. Mm-hmm. Like I was pretty sure Blue Jasmine was going to be nominated for Best Picture, and I didn't think Saving Mr. Banks was a great movie, but it, it felt that like that's like Oscar, why they made it. Yeah, it has like there are movies you watch where it's like they made this for mm-hmm. the Oscars. Yeah, um, and it's funny you brought up the reader, and you're like, "Have you seen it?" And yes, I have. But the only reason I have seen it was because it was nominated. Yeah, and that's the, I went and saw it in the theater before the award ceremony came out because that was that was one year where I was um, was that a five five movie yeah. year? I'm pretty sure I saw all the all the movies that year. That was while I was at film school. I think was that um, Doubt was that year. Doubt wasn't up for best picture, but it wasn't. I think that was that year, though. Oh, okay. it, it was up for several other things. It was the reader and because um... I remember like doubt and little children. Like I, I always remembered them as being up for best picture because they were nominated for like a bunch of other stuff mm-hmm. or something like that same time. But yeah, and like all in all of the acting cat, like every character in doubt was nominated for the you know their their character their no, was actor was that the um, I want to say that was. Slumdog Millionaire, The Reader, Atonement, was that that same year? And Juno and Michael Clayton? Was that the Juno year? I think it was. Juno was the year after Little Miss Sunshine. I remember thinking like, oh, this is the thing where every yeah. year they're going to put one of these little indie comedies and in they, there. And they have done that ever since, um, yeah. it seems. Which, which is it's really so weird, weird to think like... When it when there were only five nominees, somebody thought Juno. That's one of the, and it was a good movie. I'm not gonna say I, and say Juno was a bad movie. <laughs> I didn't but enjoy it actually. You didn't enjoy it at all. I saw it in the theater, and I think part of my, uh, I don't know, sour feelings towards it were the circumstances in which I saw it. I was um, with a few of our friends, and we were sledding on this hill, and someone had built this like crazy, ramp jump. And we saw this kid, like, going flying off of it and landing, and it looked like he was having a great time. And so we were like, we should go down this crazy jump. 
And so we were going on down the jump, and uh, first time I went down, I landed, and it was, like, really hard and knocked the wind out of me, and I'm like, holy shit, that was crazy. But it was a lot of fun. And right before we left, I'm like, I'm going to hit the jump one more time. And I hit it, and I, like, landed flat on my back, and my legs kind of, like, folded up on top of myself. And I ripped, like, a muscle in my leg, in uh. my, like, thigh underneath. And it hurt so bad, like, I could barely walk. And we were supposed to meet other people at Crossgates Mall to go see Juno. And I, could, I was, like, walking through the mall, and I could, like, I could barely move. I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> my leg feels like it's going to fall off. And then I had to sit in, like, a movie theater seat, and my leg was just burning the whole time. I'm like, fuck this movie. I want to leave. Well, that's so. not fair to Juno. No. I'm no. sorry that you had to <laughs> endure that. But I don't know. Juno, I just remember there were just so many little weird, like, reference things. Like, these long the conversations f- where it's like, have you seen this movie? Oh, I love that movie. Oh, the um, Wizard of Gore. It's better than Suspiria. Yeah, the Suspiria. Yeah, they were talking about Suspiria. One thing I liked about, about that. All this kind of stuff, and it's just like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like, you like all this kind of, you know. I liked that when the Wizard cool of Gore stuff. came out on DVD, like, a year later the ad for it was like it's like better than Suspiria Juno that's like that was like the blurb um yeah like a lot of like this the ridiculous slang type stuff um I it was very annoying to me when I first watched it and uh but then like that summer I went back to work in Lake George and like it was so close to the way that like teenage girls talked, which yeah, I, didn't... And I didn't really have a problem with like the slang necessarily. Just like the whole attitude of like, aren't we cool? Because we we just said Suspiria. It's like, aren't but we cool, that's guys? them. That's the teenage girls though. They would do that too, and they would they would throw like a band name into a conversation, and like it's like you didn't even need to do like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like accurate to the way that people would name drop in real life. I just looked up that list, and I had the wrong year for the reader, uh, or for Juno. Um, Juno was the year that No Country for Old Men won, uh, and it yeah. was Atonement, There Will Be Blood, and Michael Clayton Right. were the other ones. Sorry. That was that was pretty good. That was a pretty good year, I think, actually. No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood were both really great movies. I still haven't seen either of them. Really? I've seen the other three movies of that year. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. I, I didn't see Atonement or uh, Michael Clayton. I was shocked that I liked Atonement because the oh, way... Wait, it, no, I did see Atonement. Okay, it was advertised as like, oh, here's this epic romance taking place in the war and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then you watch it and it's actually like, it's really great. Like it's the a, way it plays with like what really happened and right, yeah. interpretations and things. And then the great ending mm-hmm. where it cuts to like the old woman and stuff and... And it has some really uh, awesome cinematography. Yeah, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot that uh, that I had seen that. I was, th- I think I was thinking of something else. But um, and Michael Clayton was okay. Oh. <laughs> but all right, so let's talk about this year. What do we? What do we? What do we got this year? In Best Picture, we've got uh, Twelve Years a Slave, which I haven't seen, and to be completely honest, I know almost nothing about it. I I know that I feel like if I watch it and don't like it, I'm a horrible racist. That's the impression I'm getting. I feel like if I was to say publicly, and I haven't seen it, from what I've heard, it's a very good movie. But I felt like I feel like if I watch it and I honestly don't like it, and I say that somewhere, people are like, "Oh, 
damn whitey. Like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's probably not exactly true, but... Uh... Really? I don't know. I mean, in, in at this... I don't know. In this day and age, there's been plenty of uh, movies made about slavery and racial inequality and everything. There's been a lot of good ones and a lot of bad ones. You know, I mean, but this one seems like I have yet to hear a bad review of this or anybody say anything bad about it. I think if you don't enjoy the film, it's totally different from enjoying or understanding the message of the, the of the film or mm. appreciating the message. Not enjoying. I enjoy the message of, <laughs> of equality. <laughs> um, you know, it's a totally different kind of thing. But anyway, so there's that American Hustle, which again I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. That, which is going to be a theme with these ten movies. Um, nine. Oh, nine. <laughs> right. Captain Phillips, which I have seen. We had it playing at Amy's, so I got to watch that. That that's the thing is like, I used to go out and like try to see all of the Best Picture nominees. But ever since I started working at Amy's, I'm kind of like, well, maybe we'll get it. And then I don't have to go pay for a ticket. I can watch it, you know. Um, but the sad truth is uh, because of the way that the um, the rules and stupid regulations about what films we can show and what films we can't because of theaters in the vicinity showing those films, the, the other, like, Regal takes precedent over over us which is ridiculous which is total bullshit because regal we've, we're down to the one regal here now because we get the one in wilton was bought out by bowtie or something yeah and they don't even um they st- are the, the the regal in aviation that's still going they're still showing movies there because they don't advertise them anymore yeah because they took the the board down up right so you don't know what's playing so i'm not gonna like i don't know what they want people to do there's no sign out front saying these movies are playing like it's just Remember when you had to call in? I might have to do that tomorrow. I don't know if you were still interested in seeing that movie in Indian Lake tomorrow. Um, because their website doesn't give a time for the movie. Hmm. But like it, it gave a time for the other movie that's playing. What other movie is playing? Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, okay. Um, Which you saw, thinking you were going to get a leg up on the nominee. I'm glad I saw it anyway. <laughs> I enjoyed the film. Yeah, I'd like to see it. I like Tom Hanks, and seeing him play Walt Disney is probably pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Captain Phillips, I uh, I like Captain Phillips. I thought it was good. Um, kind of gets a little too long on the in the second half of the movie, I think, but uh, kind of loses steam. But the first the first half I thought was was pretty tense, and it, you know it keeps the tension pretty high um and i didn't really know much about the the real story mm. um i know there's like a lot of controversy about like you know what is actually how much of the story was true or how much was sort of like because apparently the crew kind of says like well the captain wasn't that much of a hero yeah. the movie kind of portrays him as being this you know selfless kind of uh person who did who took all the right steps and did everything he could to save the crew um but whatever whatever makes the movie work better as a movie I think yeah and that good. you know it, that's one thing that i think um 
I would hope that more people would kind of realize in watching anything, not not even just a fictionalized version of events, but even like on the news, like it's still being like it's reported. You're getting the information like secondhand. It's not right. like an information the way that it's uh, portrayed often isn't exactly the way that it was experienced. Um, and then you amplify that like by a hundred times when you're actually like fictionalizing events. Um, I think people just take that kind of stuff a little too seriously most of the time instead of just being like, well, this is a, it's a, it's a good story. But anyway, that's, that's yeah. Dallas buyers club. Haven't seen it. I was going to go see it last night, but I was tired. Because that was um, that had already left theaters, but then it's one of the ones where because of the nominations they brought it back, mm. or at least at Bowtie. Gravity. Still haven't seen it. I want to go to Crossgates and see it in IMAX. Yeah, um, I talked about it on one of the previous uh, episodes because um, I've seen it and I saw it at Amy's, so I haven't experienced the 3D IMAX version. But I enjoyed it, and, like, it's the kind of thing that I would go, and I would actually, like, pay to see the uh, the 3D version. Because I think the experience would benefit quite a lot by it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to go see it in IMAX. Her. Which I haven't seen, but I I think this is sounds like a, a really great movie. Um, the trailer looks awesome. I, uh, I'm excited. I, I really want to see her. It looks like one of those movies where de- it de- will really depend on the mood I'm in when I go into the theater. Like, if I'm in a bad mood when I go in to watch it, I'm probably going to hate it. And if I'm, if I'm in a very, like, positive, open mood, I'm really going to love it. Like, that, that's... Or at least that's the impression I get from the mm. trailer. Like, I don't know. Nebraska? Loved it. You saw it. I saw it. I, I was the only one in the theater. What theater did he go to? Uh, Bowtie. Oh. Um, the reason for that is because the theater to my left was showing The Hobbit. The theater to my right was showing American Hustle. So most people, they had to choose between those three movies. I was the only one who went to see Nebraska. And I was sitting in the very back row. Boring old Nebraska. It was a great fucking movie. I, That's I was, another one. I don't know anything about it, actually. It's the I new Alexander Payne film. It's got Bruce Dern and the best performance I've seen him do. Um, I've never been a huge Bruce Dern fan. Like, I like him in some things to a degree, but he can be a bit much. Um But it's, he's so... I like when he's kind of like... A little restraint like in family plot he doesn't go like in a lot of his movies he goes way over the top and he's screaming and stuff and in family plot he just seems like oh this is just a regular guy acting like a human being and um in nebraska he's just this really old guy who's kind of not all there or at least that's the impression he gives off and, mm. uh, it's just it's a it's black and white it's shot beautifully really it's um it's just a really great film. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, but I, I love just being the only person in the theater with my like, my large popcorn, my large soda, sitting <laughs> there like a king, all sprawled out. Yeah, yeah. I felt very important. 
Philomena. That was another good one. That's the other one I've seen. Um, it's weird that it's nominated. It's a very good film. Um, it just didn't. It didn't feel like an Oscar nominee, you know. Mm. Like, but I mean, it, it was Stephen Frears and some of his films. I mean, uh, he did Dangerous Liaisons, which was up for Best Picture in '88, and he directed The Queen, which is up in I don't remember what year, a few years ago. Right. Right. Um. And it's a it's a very good film, and I love that a film starring Steve Coogan is up for Best Picture because Steve Coogan is fucking great. Hamlet Two and Twenty Four Hour Party People are amazing, and he's great in them. I've heard a lot of good things about Hamlet Two, but I've never seen it. Ah, ah, yeah. I have an inappropriate story about that, so I can't talk about it. But it's <laughs> it's not for the podcast. Okay. Um, and Judy Dench is great in it too, and she's always great. And finally, The Wolf of Wall Street, which uh, you know, obviously Scorsese film. Um, we'll have to go. We'll have to go watch that. I almost saw it a couple weeks ago, but then I looked and saw that it was two hours and fifty nine minutes long, and I was like, if I'm going to watch three movies today, I'm not going to start with that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the rundown this year, which your initial reaction, what, what do you, what, what would, what do you, what would you predict is going to be the winner? And the Golden Globes have already happened. And so, you know, we kind of have like a somewhat of an indicator of what's been popular. I don't remember what one of the Golden Globes. I watched the ending. I watched like the last half hour of it. Didn't, um... What won Best Drama? Was it 12 Years a Slave? I thought it was American Hustle. Was that counted as drama? I don't know. Cause I, I, remember I didn't that, watch the Golden Globes. Because so okay. I, I, I remember The Wolf of Wall Street was up for like Best Comedy or Musical or something. And like... I don't know. The Golden Globes are weird. But like, I remember Leonardo DiCaprio won like Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical. And he was like, oh, well... I guess I'm better than my fellow comedians or something like he was kind of surprised for Wolf of Wall Street for Wolf of Wall Street that is bizarre and he, but I, I don't know who picks because genres are so uh, like intermixed and everything like I mean a movie that's very got a lot of funny bits in it may not be a comedy but that is bizarre um, that was I watched that or the parts that I saw I watched with uh, Gavin and he, I haven't seen Inside Lewin Davis, um, but that was up for Best Comedy or Musical. And he was like, it wasn't a comedy. And I was like, isn't it a musical? And he was like, no. Because I haven't seen it, but I, it seems like a musical. But The Great Gatsby. What? Is that what you're talking about? No, Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, was tr- I was trying to read about the um, who won, and I kind of zoned out. Um... Yeah, inside the 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 Coen Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Which that was one I was surprised wasn't up. For, again, not having seen it, mm-hmm. it looked like one like oh, that's clearly going to be a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, totally. Like the Golden Globes are just who is it? It's the foreign correspondents. That's who votes on that. Like, why is that important to like? Why is that like? Ooh, you want a Golden Globe? Yeah, I don't know. And it's a fun show. It's it, that's the award show where they serve alcohol. So the war, the um the acceptance speeches are 
sometimes a little slurred and funny. Okay, so yeah, Best Picture Drama was 12 Years a Slave. Okay. Best Picture Musical or Comedy was American Hustle. All right. Yeah, so so American Hustle and 12 Years a Slave are kind of, I guess you'd say, the lead forerunners. And Alfonso Cuaron won Best Director for Gravity. Did they do, did the SAG Awards already happen? Or is that this weekend, or? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, see, I don't, the whole, like, awards season thing, mm-hmm. I usually, like, I drift in and out of it. Like, I don't really follow it that yeah, much totally. until the Oscars. Because, mm-hmm. like, I don't care, really, that much. Cause... Yeah. Unless there's, like, some, I don't know, unless there's some kind of surprise movie or something that. Hmm. But even then, like, I would just. I don't know. It's more of a passing if, interest. Yeah. If I was a gambler, like if people were like, oh, let's have a pool and we're going to put money into like the Oscars this year, then I'd follow the whole thing and be like, oh, well, this won this at the SAG Awards mm-hmm. and this at Golden mm-hmm. Globes. And in the past, every movie that's won that and that has also won this. And, right. Because you can predict Get it all very mathematical and shit. And it's easy to do. Well, it was when there were five nominees. Right. Now it's. But chances are. If, um, because I mean, you look at the Golden Globes and it's like 12 Years a Slave and American Hustle, they're in different categories, but yeah. they're in the same category at the Oscars. So it's like, well, you know, where's it going to go? Um, what's the other one? I used to watch the Independent Spirit Awards, which were always the night before <laughs> the Oscars. Yeah, I, I, I remember watching it once and being like, oh, yeah, Independent Spirit Awards. And then you watch it and you see all the nominees and you're like, these are the independent movies and it's like hosted by samuel jackson and stuff and i'm just like this isn't independent like how is this like you know i expected to see like much you know well there i mean smaller more more independent because like what's the definition of independent i don't even know right now there is no yeah i mean when i when i think about independent filmmaking like i think the, the broad definition is like produced and financed like not through one of the major Hollywood studios. But many of them still have distribution lined up before they even start shooting. Yeah. Like, a lot of them, they shoot them on their own, and then it gets picked up by, like, Miramax mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. But, like, some of them are funded right from the start, but technically by major Hollywood studios, just, like, funneled through other things. Right. And oftentimes with big, uh, big-name actors and directors. Yeah. Um, and th- there are a lot of movies that that that's how I hear about a lot of movies. Like that night, I'd be watching the Independent Spirit Awards and be like, "Wow, they're talking a lot about this." Um, was it uh, Half Nelson? Never heard of Half Nelson before. I go, ch- I'll go check right, that right. out. And um, I mean, it was uh, that was up for Best Actor at the Oscars, but it was up for like several things at the Independent Spirit Awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there, I mean, similar to Golden Globes on a smaller level, you get the feeling like oh a bunch of people who kind of know each other and are friends are hanging out in this room and yeah. we get to watch it on tv yeah no that, yeah, that is like a fun that thing. is one of the cool things about watching the actual ceremonies mm-hmm. is seeing like you know it, it is crazy everywhere you point the camera into the crowd you're seeing like it's one of the only places where like oh yeah you know jack nicholson is like in the background of this <laughs> shot he's not the focus but like you know he's hanging out with like and it's oftentimes such random sort of groupings of people where you're like Bradley Cooper and Jack Nicholson and you know 
I like, some other random person all hanging out. It's like that's weird. The year, um, I guess it was the year that Lost in Translation was up, and like at the Independent Spirit Awards, and they uh, there was like the Coppola table. And, like, Sofia Coppola was there and Francis Ford Coppola and, like, I think Roman Coppola and, like, whatever other ones. Nicolas Cage? I don't think Nicolas Cage was there. Oh. <laughs> but, like, Francis Ford Coppola just had, like, the whole night, he was, like, this beaming, like, proud father. Mm. And it was just so yeah, cute to so watch sweet. him yeah. just, like, and, like, they were doing, like, musical numbers and he was, like, bouncing up and down in his chair and stuff. <laughs> like a big Santa was, Claus. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to DVR that this year because we are gonna be busy that night. Um, What's going on that night? If not participating, I assume we'll at least be uh, watching uh, Playfest at the Wood Theater the night of the Independent Spirit Awards. Real? Oh, March first. That's the Independent Spirit. Oh, right. so when are the Oscars? Uh, I'm assuming the second because they're u- they're usually the night after the Spirit Awards. That's going to be a big weekend. Oh, so, okay, so March 1st is a Saturday. Yeah. And then, right. Because the Spirit Awards are always on a Saturday and the Oscars are always on a Sunday. Yeah. And since I've been working at Amy's, like, I've been, I work all day on Sunday and work all night. Um, so the last couple of years, I've not really been able to watch the whole Oscar ceremony. Which is funny because you think, like, you know, most movie fans and and the kind of movies we get at amy's are often like catered to the crowd that would be interested in watching the oscars yeah so you know there's the early movie shows where before the oscar ceremony and we'll have like a few of the oscar contenders those will be all really busy because people are rushing out to like catch up quick before the oscar ceremony comes on so they'll go and watch some of the nominees then once the Oscars start, you'd think that like there wouldn't be many people, mm. but it's funny to see people like choose to actually watch the films that are nominated instead of watching the ceremony, which really you know that's what it should be all about is the films you know yeah, and not all the the hubbub. It's an act of defiance. Like we don't care what's nominated. We're just gonna watch the movies that night. Like I don't know. But then again, they could also be DVRing it. That's true. Yeah. Um, you've got All Is Lost there at mm-hmm. the moment, and that's up for Best Picture at the Spirit Awards. And I'm oh, thinking really? I might try to work my way through those this year. What else is up for the, in- um, the Spirit Awards? I'm not sure. I don't, Francis Ha, um, which the trailer looks like it's horrible, but people keep telling me it's great. I don't. I've only seen one other Noah Baumbach movie, The Squid and the Whale, which I hated. Mm. So I I don't know. Um, I think Nebraska's up, and uh, there's at least one other one that's also up for the Oscar, but I'm, I don't remember. Yeah, All Is Lost, um, my plan is to watch that this weekend, because it looks really good, based on the opening, the first couple, like for maybe like the first 10 minutes, um, looks really great, but I'm guessing it'll probably be pretty packed weekend a lot of people have been coming to see it but yeah so um so starting next month after we're done talking about all these uh all these bombs only one more after this week 
thank God. Um, <laughs> we're going to actually do a month of Oscar nominees. Um, so we'll choose four of the Best Picture nominees and uh, and watch those. Uh, it'd be nice to um, try to watch all nine films. Um, and maybe some episodes we can do, like, you know, talk about two movies in one episode. Um, but, yeah. I guess the... Not really sure which movies we'll we'll, we'll touch on. It'll, it'll depend on what, what ones we can get out and go see and when that when we can make that all happen. But that should be fun. A lot of these movies I'm excited to see. So, And at the moment, they're all still out or all out again, except for Captain Phillips. Which just came out on DVD, I think. So there you go. Yeah. Man, it's got to be like the producer's like wet dream. When they're like, our movie was just nominated for Best Picture, and now we're releasing it on DVD, <laughs> like the same in the same week. You know, it's got to be just like, oh yeah. Blue Jasmine came out on DVD this week too. I just, I'm still just surprised that, that wasn't nominated for Best Picture, but it is up for. Um, Kate Blanchett. Yeah, up, Best yeah. Actress and Best Screenplay. Screenplay right. uh, it might be up for more stuff too. I'm, I don't believe that Andrew Dice Clay is up for Best Supporting Actor, but uh, that would have been something to see. That would have been weird. Can you imagine if he like won an Oscar? I just watched, like I, I've always seen clips of him and heard things about him and stuff. I think he even watched the E True Hollywood Story on him years ago, but I actually just sat down and watched like a full set of his comedy. Mm-hmm. He's fucking funny. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says, and it's offensive, but it's like. It's like a character thing. Right, it's like yeah. Stephen Colbert being a conservative. It's yeah. like that, or at least that's the impression I got from what I saw. And it was from 1988. It was like, I guess his breakthrough performance. It was on this VHS. I got um, Rodney Dangerfield's Nothing Goes Right, where it's just like him and a bunch of like younger stand up comedians. Bill Hicks is on it when he mm. was like starting out. And like um, that tape. Um, I guess that's how people first heard uh, or how a lot of people first heard of Dice and then uh, from there he went on to do like HBO specials and he did a couple movies and and then did nothing for like 10 years and then 10 years after that Blue Jasmine yeah and I think he like sort of popped up in like random commercials and kind of just like yeah. being like hey remember me like I'm, I'm that guy yeah I've never really known much about him yeah. But in Blue Jasmine, though, he doesn't... I mean, he's not playing, like, him or his persona or whatever. Yeah. He's just, like, a regular guy. And I don't know. Just love Blue Jasmine. <laughs> I'm just... It's it's better than Nebraska and Philomena. I don't know. Anyway. Well, that's the, you know, that's the whole <laughs> thing about the Oscars. Is it's, it's impossible to say with complete certainty what the best movie of the year was right it's different for everybody you gotta make your own decisions but it's nice to have this sort of like this short list of films that are like hey these are we think these are good yeah this is what the industry thinks it is doing right yeah and it shouldn't be taken for anything more or less than that really right. you know if you're putting more stock in it than that then you know you should probably just take a chill pill 
you know so, i mean you read people just get so like really like worked up about it yeah this oh they are so dumb like this movie should have been nominated this should have this should not have blah blah blah, blah. Just like ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters to the people who, you know, win the awards and are nominated. To them, it matters. Well, and some for some of them, that matters. and allegedly it helps their career. Although there have been many people who have won Oscars and, and then, then just, just went on to vanished, do, yeah. or not vanished, but just kept embarrassing themselves, like Adrian Brody. <laughs> like seriously, since the pianist, he's just he's done some good stuff, but also just like he's just been obnoxious and weird. What, you didn't think he was good in uh, Predators? Didn't see Predators. Didn't want to see Predators. I thought he was good in his, like, five-minute role in Midnight in Paris. Right, uh, as uh, Dolly? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Darjeeling Limited? That was a good one. Yeah. But those are two in, like, the past eight or nine years or whatever it's been. Oh, uh, yeah, and he was in King Kong. I'm mostly thinking about, like, those, like, was it like some sort of soda commercials he did? I don't know. Where everybody's like, hey, Adrian. And he's like, hey. And he's all cool. like, And just, I don't know. He bugs me. He bugs the crap out of me. I think you're taking it too seriously, Tim. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, what was it? There was There's this guy I used to work with at Dr. Morbid's named Scott. He had a lot of drug problems. And... Um, <laughs> He was complaining about something about the Oscars. And this was in the summer, so I don't even remember what he was complaining about randomly. Um, and he was like, it's so stupid. Like, that's not the best movie of the year. And I was like, you mean it didn't... It did win. And he's like, no, I don't care if it won. It's not the best picture. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's... Just because it, it won doesn't mean that it's... And he's like, the way they should pick it is they should have everybody vote. Hmm. Like, everyone in the country. Like, the president. And it's like... No, that's not what the Oscar... Like, that's... There's a thing called the People's Choice Awards. And it's not as big as the Oscars. Because nobody cares about the People's Choice. The Oscars is, like, what Hollywood thinks of itself. That's what that is. The Golden Globes are what the foreign press correspondents think of, like, movies. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what that is. And, like, the BAFTAs, what the British film... Like, everything... It's... I don't know. Yeah, it, it it's weird that the Oscars is like the big one, right? But it is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it shouldn't be taken as anything more than just like it's the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Arts and Sciences just handing out awards yeah. to who they, you know, it's just a little it's a competition within the within the industry. And one thing people also forget is it's not necessarily about the best picture. Now, the Oscar for best picture, it goes to whoever produced the film, Mm -hmm. which says something right off the bat. It's about the production, which in the first year they had the two separate things. Sunrise won for like most like artistic Mm -hmm. film or whatever the exact term was. And Wings won for best production. And the Academy has chosen, when talking about its own history, it's chosen to refer to Wings as the winner of that year. Right. And they tend not to mention Sunrise. They'll mention it in, like, a footnote. Like, well, this won the other award that was there. The artistic thing. Yeah, so clearly the Academy has basically decided, like, it's not about 
what is the most like the or what is the artistic success mm-hmm. it's about what has the best production at which i mean that would explain how like around the world in 80 days wins or the greatest show on earth which is a piece of crap but it looks like it's a big movie mm-hmm. and uh gone with the wind and titanic which those are both good movies but they were also fucking huge and they were good productions right that is true. So, based on that criteria, what do you think is the best production of the year? I don't. I haven't seen them all. So, I mean, I've seen. Like, I mean, Twelve Years a Slave is like a, a period piece. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's a lot of costumes going on. A lot of locations. I mean, I will say, like, based on the the two that I've seen (laughs) and what I know of, the very little information that I know of the others, I mean, Gravity, I can understand why it was, why it was nominated under Mm. those terms, because it really is a, uh, a a sight to behold visually. Um, and just like, that's the thing I kept, I kept thinking about while watching it was just like, it is amazing that they were able to, to like pull this off because it's just it works and it's it's just amazing to the to experience the the experience of it and that's you know partly why i really want to see it again in the, in the IMAX format because it is just like it's an incredible production and, my and it has incredible production value impression my impression of it is like like avatar is another example of a film that was up for best picture mm-hmm. it didn't win but like it's Clearly, its production was the reason. It was there because of the amazing use of IMAX and everything. And, like, my impression of Gravity is that, like, it kind of does what Avatar does on a little, on a smaller scale. But, like, it has, like, the great, like, IMAX and, like, effects and everything. But also characters that you give a shit about, Mm -hmm. which Avatar was sorely lacking in. Well, and I would say that um, Gravity doesn't really, like, have much in the way of story. Like there really isn't much of a, uh, of a of a story there. It's very short. Also, it is. It's, it's, it's very like ninety one. Sh- it's a very short movie, and it has a cast of two, like literally, hmm. Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, and like that's that's it. Um, which I like. Which I like about it. It it, it focus. It has like a very like laser focus about what it's trying to do. And that is just, like, put you in the shoes of, like, you are stranded in, in space. And it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's thrilling and, uh, and really well done. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, and Avatar, <laughs> it's weird comparing Avatar and Gravity. Gravatar. Yeah, the thing about gravity with, like, the people being, like, in space and they're stuck and stuff uh, reminds me of uh, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Mm. Yeah. Are there other similarities between those two movies? Uh, um, there are people who wear spacesuits. Okay. Um, you see the Earth from space. Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> That might be about it. Huh. They're both movies. 
Would you say Gravity is a better film than The Adventures of Pluto Nash? I would say that it is would, a okay. better film than Pluto Nash, yes. What were your impressions of uh, Pluto Nash? I, well, for the thing that we kind of agreed on after <laughs> watching it, um, it, our experience might might have been tainted by our recent viewing of Cuthbert Island, um, which by comparison, Pluto <laughs> Nash is... It's great. It's a yeah, masterpiece. Much, much, much better. Um, downright enjoyable. I don't... I don't know. I mean, like, I don't get why it's such a... Like, I get the numbers make sense as far as like why it's considered a bomb because it was a bomb and you looked at the numbers uh just before we started recording um the budget the budget was 100 million dollars and the u.s gross was 4.1 million dollars which that's a loss of 95.9 million dollars and um (laughs) that's a big loss i mean 95 million dollars is a big loss no matter how you slice it but even just alone, and that was one thing that I was like thinking, like, oh well, maybe the budget was just too high, and their expectations were were too high for the movie. But a gross of four point one million dollars is very small for any big budget. Yeah. Like even if it, like, because that's the thing. Like even if this movie had a budget of ten million dollars, it still would have had a higher than fifty percent loss. Um. Like, I don't get why, like, what was keeping people away? This is, I mean, this is after The Nutty Professor and Dr. Doolittle. Like, Eddie Murphy was, like... This is in 2002. Yeah. So I I would guess that, like, yeah, this was in the time when, like, Eddie Murphy was, like, a real big bankable star. Um, I think, like, the last thing he'd just been in was probably Shrek. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which was a huge, huge success. Huge movie. Um, So, I mean... Granted, yeah, the studio, you know, they, the Warner Brothers, they probably had no reason to think that, like, Eddie Murphy wouldn't bring people out. And, like, wherever the rest of the money went, because I'm sure that Eddie Murphy was very expensive, it all seems like it's on the screen. It's a great-looking, like, sci-fi, futuristic film. And, I mean, granted, like, there are some effect shots that do look like they're from 2002, um, or more specifically, 2000, because apparently the That's movie right. was shot entirely and made in the year 2000, but was practically shelved until it was released in 2002, um, for for whatever reason. Yeah, like, I don't, I can't imagine somebody watching this and being like, the world is not ready for Pluto Nash, like... I mean, looking at um, its IMDb page, it has... Uh, a user rating of 3.7 stars which that seems pretty pretty harsh to me but user that's just whoever goes on right there. yeah but i mean still like clearly i think the movie has more of a negative stigma than it necessarily deserves there are far more movies that are more deserving of of harshness. I mean, Cutthroat Cut Island. Island. That's the, <laughs> Come on. Maybe it is, like, we can't figure out what's wrong with it because it's better than Cutthroat Island. Like, we just And don't. that's really not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> but Cutthroat I, Island has a user rating on IMDb of 5.6. What? Yeah. That's bullshit. So, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's something, there's some, 
element of unfairness going on with with Pluto Nash. All right, one thing that we were um, criticizing Cutthroat Island for was the lack of like any characters really. Like there were like you know there were the leads who we didn't care about anyway. Mm. But besides those leads, there was just like a mass of random people that we cared even less about. In Pluto Nash, it's not like you know like this great like cornucopia of talent or whatever but i mean you've got all right jay moore was funny right yes uh oh, he, yeah. he played the um uh tony francis the yeah. nightclub singer and um, um alec baldwin and actually, was a know, surprise like cameo yeah and uh louis guzman was doing his thing that he does where he's like the mexican stereotype guy <laughs> and john cleese was doing the thing that he does the uptight British guy. Uh, and then, I mean, whatever the fuck Randy 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 Quaid was, was doing, doing. Whatever the hell he was doing. <laughs> pretending to be a robot. Which, that, I mean, that's like probably <laughs> one of the poorer aspects of the movie. It's just, it, I don't know what the hell. But was in a way, on. it was one of the more entertaining aspects. Because yeah, you're just laughing. Like, what were they, why is he doing that? It reminded <laughs> me of um, the episode of The Office where uh michael scott had directed a film mm-hmm. uh oh yeah, yeah and dwight is playing the robot, robot butler it. yeah but like at one point it cuts to like michael scott and he's like because it shows a clip of dwight like walking around like a robot and being like i am a robot or whatever the hell and then it cuts to michael scott saying like i never told him he was playing a robot <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, it would like from the first, and that was one of the things after we watched the movie, I turned to Tim and I was like, my favorite part was when it's early on in the movie. And we, I think we had been introduced to the, the Bruno, the robot bodyguard character. Yeah. Um, but we, the, the first real time we see him in action is like, there's a big explosion <laughs> in the, uh, in the, in the nightclub and he, is suddenly he comes out and he's like marching in place and swinging his arms in such a uh cliche kind of like i am a robot this is what robots do and he's saying like you know bomb detonated escape escape bomb detonated and it's just like it looks like a parody of a robot apparently 73 years from now robots on mars will be on the moon acting like or on the moon i'm sorry Somewhere in space. What's the difference? Well, that was actually an aspect of the movie that I was, like, kind of disappointed in because I didn't know anything about it going in. Yeah. I didn't know that the whole thing takes place on the moon. With moon songs all over the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I just assumed that, like, you know, oh, it's this... He's, like, this adventure. We're going to be flying around in space. He probably has his own spaceship. You know, and we're going to different parts of the solar system. You know, so we'll go, we'll see. We'll we start on the moon. Maybe we go to Mars. Then we go to Pluto. Maybe I don't know. Um, but the whole thing is just it's this whole moon Earth dynamic. And we don't even we don't even go to Earth. We're just on the moon the whole time. This is a weird title, The Adventures of Pluto Dash. Yeah, because he's not like any sort of adventurer. Like he had had like a pat. He was a smuggler. Mm-hmm. And he'd done time, and he was now he's in the nightclub business. <laughs> it's like Carlito's way. It's, he's like Pacino in Carlito's way, actually. Like, um, I, I don't know. I don't know what I would have called it. But I don't think I would have 
that the adventures in there because it makes it seem like he's this guy. Well, it's who... it brings to mind like you know when Star Wars was initially released, the movie was called Star Wars, but it was subtitled from the adventures of Luke Skywalker. Hmm. Um, you know, and and in that way, like it, it brings to mind. It seems like they were trying to go for this like whole sort of franchise building thing where it's like you know oh you can imagine pluto nash and all sorts of different kinds of adventures you know um this is but one which you really at the end of the film it pretty much is like now he's settled down he's found a woman and he's happy and he's like it seems like this would be his last adventure yeah (laughs) which we actually kind of joked about when it appeared that he was dying yeah this is the last adventure (laughs) That sad moment when Bruno is just carrying their That is one of the best, the... most cinematic moments of, of the movie. When he comes over, when Bruno comes over the ridge. Yeah. And he's far away in silhouette behind the earth. And he's holding both uh, Eddie Murphy and Rosario Dawson. It was a cool looking shot. I got to give it to him. Like, you know, it had some interesting visuals. Um, One thing... Like we, we when we're talking about Cuthbert Island, like uh, we mentioned how uh, it was good that Gina Davis's character, even though it wasn't really that great of a character, it was like a strong female character who was allowed to be right. sexual and stuff. And right. this one, we've got Rosario Dawson, and she's you know typical kind of damsel in distress type character, but very, nothing. I would say very typical. Yeah. Like she she picks up a gun at one point and just like shoots wildly like. I don't know, in such a lame kind of way. But the only other, like, female characters I can think of, and I might be forgetting people, are, like, the like the female, like, archetypes, like, the mother and the whore. The There's mother. The mother, Pam Greer. Right. Who is a weird, it's a weird character. Yeah. Very At one strange. point, she is, like, shooting, and it's like, well, it is Pam Greer. That's, you know, mm-hmm. Foxy Brown there. Um, she's basically just, she's but, more of a cameo, really. Yeah, and th- but then you, um, and then you've got all the female like sex bots, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At, or the, um, the, the Jay the, Moore's wives. Yeah, the clone. He's like, oh, I found His a perfect woman. And, I cloned her. Yeah. Uh, which one's which? Who cares? Yeah. It, it has. I mean, Eddie Murphy has never been famous for you know being positive towards women. So, but I mean, I don't know how much control he had over that. Probably not too much, I would guess. Yeah. Probably didn't have too much... Uh... But there's really, like... It's just Rosario Dawson, as far as... And she's a pretty weak know, character. Yeah. We don't really... We don't know anything about her. We don't really, like... She's, um... It's just... I don't know. She was weak. really good in her first film, Kids. And she was really good in 25th Hour. And I haven't seen a lot of her other films, um... It just seems like for the most part, she... Well, this is true of a lot of actresses and, like, very talented actresses, like, who just... It's like, there's not a lot of great parts out there. At some point, you're going to have to be in a movie where all you do is get into dangerous situations and scream and wait for somebody to help you. (laughs) Yeah. That is... I mean, it, it definitely is a shame. I mean... Comparing it back to Star Wars, because which I think is pretty fair. Um, I feel like the majority of sci-fi adventure films made since the late 70s 
it makes sense to talk to them in relation to Star Wars. Yeah, and I mean, like, there there is a certain kind of dynamic going on in Pluto Nash that is somewhat comparable to the character dynamics in in uh, Star Wars, mm. where you have this sort of like band of sort of misfits thrown together on this sort of quest to de- defeat the Emperor. In this case, <laughs> um, uh, a uh, corporate tycoon guy. Um, I mean, in Princess Leia is a very strong female character. Um, I just feel like, and really, we're if we're focusing on you know there's Eddie Murphy's character, and there's Rosario Dawson, and then there's there's Bruno, <laughs> who those are our main sort of core three. Yeah. who were with through this whole journey they should have they should have taken more time to develop rosario dawson a little further yeah. made her made her more interesting there's no there, i don't really think there's much of an excuse there i feel like often especially uh, when the, you know you can do it in star wars like make this cool you know she's not just a damsel in distress even though she is technically a damsel in distress yeah and her being in distress causes everything to right she records the thing but she doesn't feel like a typical like i'm just gonna sit here kind of you know and she's she's got some sass she's got some snarky lines and stuff yeah and as soon as they rescue her she just starts bossing them all around yeah (laughs) um well she's a princess yeah a disney princess now sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah um also um who all right so the like the bad guys that are chasing them there's joey pants and then his like partner or whatever is is he a black albino the guy with the cross eyes yeah i don't know i don't know what his because he looks like the black albino from messiah of evil And, uh, I mean, it's clearly not that guy, because that guy wasn't even an actor. They just hired him from a side of evil, because he showed up or something, and he looked weird. Like, it was just an odd... And also, it seemed like, when they first introduced that character, because he looked so odd, he looked to me like an albino, I was like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I guess if you lived your whole life on the moon, like, maybe, like, we're gonna see a lot of, like, really, like, pale people and stuff, and, like, odd-looking people, but, no, I don't know. No, they didn't really develop, like, the world of Pluto Nash very well. Yeah. Um, and that was actually something that, like, I don't think there's much... I mean, I don't know. It's easy to criticize things like that, but the movie isn't trying to be Star Wars, really. It's not trying to be a serious take on, like, science fiction or, like, you know, imagining, like, well, what would people actually be like if they lived on the moon? Or the fact that the movie takes place in... 2087 and they're much further developed technologically speaking than than we will be in 2087 like I can pretty much guarantee you that there will not be colonies of people living on the moon in 2087 there was um let alone well I mean also in the 2070s was when he was in jail right because he got out in 2080 and right then he'd been um one of the female characters that i forgot about was the iliana douglas's character the plastic surgeon mm. 
So the only other major female character, well, not, I mean, she had lines. She was in that one scene, mm-hmm. um, is somebody who is a plastic surgeon and therefore is kind of vapid. Yeah. And superficial. So <sighs> it's true. But no, I mean, Eddie, well, um, Pluto Nash talks about how when he was a kid, like he grew up on the moon. Mm-hmm. So how old do you think he was like in his thirties, late thirties, maybe how old was Eddie Murphy? During Pluto Nash, maybe forty. Uh, maybe I don't know. Um, probably around forty. Forty, forty, uh, thirty-nine or thirty-eight when it was made. Oh wait, no, he was born in April, and they started shooting in April. <laughs> oh right, that's one of the anecdotes is that he and Alec Baldwin, his co-star, were both born on April third. How about that? There's some Pluto Nash trivia for you. <laughs> you bust that out at all your Oscar parties. <laughs> I know movie trivia. Did you know co-stars Alec Baldwin and Eddie Murphy? I don't know what I'm doing. Is that Bruno? What, you, what <laughs> voice is that? I don't know. It's like the automated uh, movie trivia bot. Is that a thing? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Pretending Max that it's tired. <laughs> uh, the um the music was fun. It was very nineties hip hop R and B like Well it really it it there are certain songs that did bring me right back to that era. You know, the the late 90s the turn of the century era of uh of music like the kind of like just the kind of pop that it was you know like that op- the opening song the opening sort of like remixed version of uh blue moon a blue moon um which that was when that started it's like this is gonna be a fun movie. <laughs> yeah and i mean it, to the movie's credit like i mean the mood that you get from the very beginning like stays pretty consistent like it doesn't really like it is it does what it what it set out to do i think you know it is what it is um i mean i look at like other movies that i think other comedies of the time which i i could i would go as far as to say that pluto nash is like somewhat of a parody of sci of like a sci-fi movie mm. Um, not totally a parody, but in the same way that like Austin Powers isn't totally a parody of James Bond. Mm. I mean, I guess it. I like you'd say that it is a parody, though, right? Austin Powers. That's a parody of James Bond. Yeah. Well, I don't know about James Bond, but isn't it closer to like the well Matt Helm and right? It's the, the parody Flint. of like the parody of James Bond parodies. <laughs> oh wow. Um. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, thinking of it in... Comparing it to, like, Austin Powers, which came out around the same time, like, Austin Powers is a much more... I don't know. I think well, it's it came a, out... It's, I mean, it came out five years before Pluto Nash was released. Five years? When did Austin Powers come 97, out? 97, I think? Or was it 96? I think it was 97. No. Well, I got this magical phone device here where I can look it up. I think it was 98 is what my guess would be. 
That's still four years before Pluto Nash. Was released, though. Yeah. But it was made, like, relatively soon after. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery, 97. 97? The Holy spy crap. who shagged me was 99. So there had already been two Austin Powers movies before they made Pluto Nash. That is crazy. For some reason in my mind, like, Austin Powers doesn't feel that long ago. That's a series that, like, it was huge. Like... Man, when that second movie came out, it was, like, such a big movie. And, like, you couldn't not see things about it. You know, like, mm. Mini-Me was, like, like it was a phenomenon. I and, like, still... Dr. Evil and, like, all that. Like, it was, it became a part of, like, the pop culture, like, true pop culture. I never watched the, the whole films, any of them. I never watched any of them, like, in full. And I got sick of them. So I can only imagine the people who actually watched them, like, I, how quickly they got sick of them. I loved the first movie. I watched it a lot of time, a lot, a lot. But I, mean, I don't mean just, like, got sick of it, like, oh, that's a horrible movie, but like, got sick of it as in, like, I watched the movie, I enjoyed the movie, everybody shut up, stop doing the voice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that Vern Troyer guy, he doesn't need to be on all these reality shows, and, like, everybody just shut up. I don't know. That's... But then you think, like, <laughs> when was the last time that you heard any, like, Austin Powers reference? Like, heard anyone talk about it? Like, it, it's crazy. The thir- after, Like, when the third movie was released, I think, like, that was when everyone was like, all right, we're sick of this. And then it just disappeared completely. It was crazy. A lot of things from that era just, like sprang up and were just huge 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 and then just vanished mm-hmm. like all the like the like the boy bands of the time you know backstreet boys and nsync and they're, they're back now backstreet's back all right <laughs> which is funny that they would release that song back when they were actually was that like their second album or something or what oh. i never really followed them the back, like the, I would think that that would be like was the that song everybody? That was that everybody? Yeah, rock your body. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, <laughs> rock your body right. Back streets, back. All right. But um, well, as far as in sync, I mean, Justin Timberlake never really went away. Right, but the the phenomenon of those bands i feel like just died so quickly yeah well i mean that's like the hair metal bands the late 80s early 90s and, yeah uh, i mean i guess like nuke's on the block i guess that's just the nature of fame and and public attention i suppose things just seem like they're just everywhere and then they just disappear completely and now it's also quick because of the internet and you're not like waiting for you're not like watching mtv waiting to watch a video by someone right you're like oh i just heard about this artist i'm gonna go check out their stuff oh just this afternoon i heard all their albums and watched all their videos and then like a few days later you're like oh god i'm so sick of that person and it's like within like a week Mm -hmm. you're kind of like i'm done with them and there i'm sure that like there are artists that like maybe a year ago I hadn't even heard of yet and now I'm like I'm so ready for them to not be famous anymore I'm so sick of them like because it just happens so quickly yeah that's true 
like I guess right now, I mean, there's this whole Miley Cyrus thing and Justin Bieber. Well, Miley Cyrus has been that's been like years now. Right, but I mean, it's it's flared up again. I don't know with the the new um, image that she's kind of portraying. Now, which image? Because when you say new image, do you mean the one from a few months ago? Because that's like, <laughs> is that an old? That's, well, is that I old that's hat the now? thing with the internet because it's like, if you're talking about the thing at the VMAs where she was like twerking mm-hmm. on Robin, th- like that's she's not that anymore. She's she did something else. She's already reinvented herself. Yeah, I forget what it was. Well, there was like the wrecking ball video. I like that song. And like everybody would talk about the video and I never really watched the video. And then I, I heard the song independent of the video and I didn't realize until she said Wrecking Ball, I didn't get like, oh, this is that Miley Cyrus song. I really like that song. I've heard the song. Yeah. But only a distorted version of it. There is a YouTube video that took the, the music video of, of Wrecking Ball and made the quote unquote demonic version of it <laughs> and they basically just like lowered the pitch of everything and like distorted and like kind of changed the, the visuals up and it made it turn it into this like scary kind of thing hmm. and it yeah it sounded pretty pretty funny but I, I saw it done at a karaoke bar a couple weeks ago and uh, that was a really good rendition too even in karaoke Mm. I enjoyed it. I don't know. Have not seen the satanic version though. If I if, do, I just type in Harry uh, Cyrus Wrecking Ball Demonic. Yeah, or? maybe. I don't know. It was a while ago <laughs> that I saw it. Um. But anyway, uh, Pluto Nash. <laughs> um, Damn it! We're not going to talk about Miley anymore. <laughs> okay. Pluto Nash. How old was Miley when Pluto Nash came out? She had to have been like... I don't know. I mean, it came out like a year before... It's over 10 Big years Fish. at this point. She was in that Big... Was, that was 12 years ago. Wait, she was in Big Fish? Yeah. What? It was before Hannah Montana, so no one wow. knew who she was. That is crazy. I had no idea. I don't even know who she was. I assume she's like one of the kids that's a kid somewhere I don't know <laughs> isn't there like a group of kids at some point they knock on someone's door I haven't seen Big Fish in a long time I was never a huge fan of it and it's been a long time since I've seen it too man that movie when did that come out 2003 yeah man that was 10 years ago that was 11 years that ago that was one I had uh, it was, it's similar to your Juno experience mm. um, like I I went to see it at uh, in the movie theater and like it was pretty full so i had to sit like close to the screen and it was like there was like a handicapped section or something Mm -hmm. so it was like there were three seats spaced out and i went with two other people so we didn't really sit near each other but we were all in the same row right and i was sitting like close to the screen way off to the side and i was watching it like at a weird angle and my neck really hurt yeah that'll always like or that can ruin the movie experience yeah. I wish that theaters would take that into consideration before they just like cram as many seats into the theater as possible or let you know like at a certain point when you buy a ticket be like I mean there's really it's really hard to keep track of where everybody's sitting right but if it gets to the point where they know they've sold more oh. than like the number that are like higher up yeah, to be yeah. like just so you know you're probably gonna sit in the front 
but I don't know. But when I went to see Beetlejuice at Bowtie last week, mm-hmm. um, they like just as an idea of like how little people who are working in theaters are really paying attention to such things. There wasn't even anybody taking the ticket, so I went with uh, Steve, and we're like standing out there like. The movie was set to start at eleven thirty. It was like eleven twenty nine. We're like, should we go in yet? And they're like, well, there's nobody there. You know, let let's wait until they come out to take our ticket because we don't want to just like walk in and they're gonna yell at us. So at like five after, some guy walks over and is like, oh, are you guys going to see Beetlejuice? And we're like, yeah. Are you gonna take our ticket? And he's like, oh, no, the end credits are, are they started. Or I mean, the opening. I was gonna say like, the opening. Cre- they showed it in reverse, actually. <laughs> the opening credits have started, and we're like, "Fuck!" Like one of the things I was excited about was, was that great opening. opening shot where it goes up through the town, mm. and then you got the the spider. Um, but I missed it. We go in, and the end credits or the opening credits had just ended, and um, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it it also didn't really hold up that well. It's not as good as it was when I was five. Mm. But um, Pluto Nash. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, do you? Uh, what do you think of Eddie Murphy? I've always been a fan of Eddie Murphy. Always. Um, yeah, I mean, I always considered him like to be very funny. Um, his stand-up or like his movies or yeah, I mean, because like, his I his stand-up just he bugs me. Really? He just seems like he's got a lot of issues. Like I think like he's but not in a funny way. I think a lot of his stand up is, is is good. Um I don't know, I mean I grew up what what movies did I I mean I watched uh, like Beverly Hills Cop. I haven't seen that when one. I was a, a kid. Um so like I enjoyed that. What what were what were some of his like big def- I can't even think Trading of Places is great. I think he's great in that the John Landis film with him and Dan Aykroyd, mm-hmm. um, and I like him in Bowfinger. Yeah, in Bowfinger, he's he's great. Um, in both of the roles that he plays, in yeah, that. he's re- especially the um, like the nerdy guy. Like he's just really, really funny. That's the thing. Like I think Eddie Murphy is a really good actor. Um, I do. I think like he. And he proves it in like in so many of his movies. Like, <laughs> it, at some point, was it like written into like his contract where like he had to play like multiple? If, if he was cast in a movie, like he had to play at least two characters. It would make sense because I like mean, after watching Pluto Nash, really like it gets to the end and like the big Shyamalan twist <laughs> is revealed, and it's like, oh, there's a clone of himself, and so of course we have Eddie Murphy playing two characters again. I didn't even think of that because usually, yeah, it's like, well, we're almost at the end of an Eddie Murphy film. I haven't seen any other characters played by him yet. Yeah, it's just crazy how many movies he plays multiple roles. But I think that's ultimately like you know, it attests to his ability. I mean, you watch um like The Nutty Professor, and re- regardless of how you feel about like you know the movie or whatever, which I hated that movie. But... <laughs> I mean, so, like he's playing a lot of different kinds of, of of characters and like i don't know i i i've always thought he's uh he's he's good and even in pluto nash like he does regardless like the movie isn't that great hmm. it's like he but he carries he carries the whole thing um 
he does a good enough job of like making bringing you in and investing into his character and like but i mean he wasn't really generating a lot of laughs but i i just love his like expressions and like you know i don't know he's he's got an interesting sense of humor i think what i hated about the nutty professor was um why did uh like all right in the original nutty professor you know it was like a jekyll and hyde thing where like this really nerdy guy becomes like this super suave guy and then in the Eddie Murphy one, instead of like, I mean, he is a really nerdy character, but also like, why, why fat? Why was he fat? Eddie Murphy is not fat. They feel like it's weird to see like, it's one thing for Jerry Lewis, who's like persona was like this geeky guy to be playing like a geeky guy and kind of like making fun of it in a way, making fun of his own persona. Eddie Murphy was never fat. Mm-hmm. Like where it's weird. I don't like when like thin people like just throw on a fat suit and get some laughs out of it it's that's just mm-hmm. it's like how would he feel about blackface you know like i feel like people would be all up in arms and stuff and it's like fuck you you put on a fat suit no we're gonna do some blackface right at you yeah i don't know i think like making him changing his physical appearance mm-hmm. i think that's like more where like why they decided to like make him fat i don't think they were like oh we can well, get a why, lot of fat i mean jokes. jerry lewis had like the weird like hair on his face and the weird teeth and like his jaw was out and... mm-hmm. i, don't I think they were just going for a more drastic like contrasts between his his nerdy self and his suave self when i think back to that movie it's been a long time since i've seen it but like you know there's a lot of like do they, it came out around the same time as like Flubber and stuff where like yeah and like the mask where he's got like you know like the the computer generated like he's he's morphing and right you know becoming fatter and skinnier and doing all this kind of stuff I think that like they were trying to like find like a that kind of visual element okay so make him fat but why the fat jokes why not just have him be fat but make have him make geeky jokes like oh we're gonna joke about how geeky is instead of like how fat he is and well i think that i mean because that's hollywood that's what they do <laughs> well no i mean i think like for people who are overweight like that's that's what they are sensitive about that's what they're like they are self aware about their own you know but i feel like people and, like, they... who were laughing at the nutty professor weren't like laughing with him they were laughing at like and his whole family and stuff like oh mm-hmm. look at that fat family look at those guys well i think they were laughing at eddie murphy's performances though like i think he just like i mean i think he worked those he worked that fat suit you know he i think he worked it i don't know i, don't know. It, <laughs> I was offended I'm, i don't know i just th- i thought he, I never thought I would be sitting here defending the, the nice professor, <laughs> but um. he has like this anger in a lot of his comedy, which is really healthy for a lot of comedy. But like it just it. And I like it. I like it when he gets angry. Some of it, but like not like when he's angry, but like when his anger shows through as just like making fun of people, like all the stuff in the eighties. He would make fun of homosexuals all the time, like. Apparently, if you're a homosexual or a fat person, Eddie Murphy just wants you to die. I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say it's that extreme. Maybe he's changed his tune now. Um, but like, I mean, he has that was a this, while ago. like he has this sort of um, like you can tell like he he has like an arrogance about him, just the way that he carries, not just in the roles that he plays, but like when you see him in real life, like yeah, I feel like he has this kind. Of, he carries this uh, like he's very full of himself, and he has like this this kind of arrogance. Um. Which is weird, because, like, on the one hand, I feel like he pays very close attention to his, like, the image he portrays. <laughs> but at the same time, he's in so many bad movies. It's unbelievable. And also, I I mentioned the anti-gay stuff that he was known for, like, in his stand-up routines and stuff. But also, um, I'd forgotten, you know, what we later learned about him with the... Uh, his whole the incident with the transvestite he picked up. Remember I, he was, I don't know anything about that. He was pulled. It was like the late nineties. He was pulled over, and it was like, oh, I just this person needed a ride, but they were like a prostitute, and it was like a guy in a dress. <laughs> really? And he was like, I didn't know it was a prostitute, and I didn't know it was a guy, and yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Maybe he's also a closet fat person. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the the, the character he played in the Nutty Professor is his actual self, and he just has very good girdles. I don't know, but I don't. I don't want to sound all like, oh, I just hate Eddie Murphy because I do like him mm-hmm. in a lot of things, and um, I liked a lot of stuff he did on SNL in the early '80s, and he is a good actor. Yeah. But he he certainly chooses very poor movies. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I I have I've never been excited. Like, when I see a trailer with Eddie Murphy in it, like I I don't think I've ever seen a trailer with, with Eddie Murphy where I'm like, I want to see that. <laughs> so I mean, here I am defending him and talking his praises, but like I don't know. He's in a lot of shit. Have you seen Vampire in Brooklyn? The Wes Craven film he was in? No. I think it was in between New Nightmare and Scream. Really? Um, Man, I haven't never heard of this. I haven't seen it either. But I, I just remember uh, Wes Craven complaining about it when it came out because Wes Craven didn't have a lot of control over it because like, Eddie Murphy, I think, might have also been a producer on it. And... It started out where, like, Wes Craven wanted to make, like, a vampire movie, and then Eddie Murphy was attached to it, and it's like, oh, well, we'll try to, like, make it a little bit of a comedy, and then Eddie Murphy was like, no, I want this to be my serious role, hmm. and it's like, you want your 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 debut as a serious actor to be <laughs> vampire, in Brooklyn? vampire but in Brooklyn, okay, and so, like, it wasn't a very successful film, um, because people, you know, Eddie Murphy fans were expecting a comedy and they didn't get one and then Wes Craven fam- fans were expecting a horror movie and I guess they didn't really get one so like apparently it, didn't pl- but again I haven't seen it, it just this didn't is play just... to any of the audiences that they were yeah and like maybe to. it's one of those lost masterpieces <laughs> I, I don't know after um, this month like I'm very wary of trying to find <laughs> some lost masterpieces because uh yeah I mean like really I mean we've watched three now the bluebird Cutthroat Island and Pluto Nash <laughs> and all three of them like 
yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's really it's starting to wear me down. With the Bluebird and the Adventures of Pluto Nash, you can be like, it makes sense that these films exist. Mm-hmm. With Cuthbert Island, though, it's like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Another um, actor who uh, has made odd decisions but has also done several good performances throughout his career is Randy Quaid. Hmm. Who like I don't know what he was doing in this movie. <laughs> That's the that is it's... he is one of the more baffling uh, elements <laughs> of the movie for sure. Um, Not just in the way that he was acting, but just the whole character in general is just like I don't know what the heck. His trajectory has been so odd from like the early seventies. He was in the Last Picture Show, and the Last Detail, and then. Um, in the in the eighties, he started doing the um, National Lampoon Vacation movies, which he's great in those. Yeah, he's re- like he's really really funny. And but then I feel like a lot of people just decided like, well, he's the bumbling oaf then, mm-hmm. like which he kind of was in those early movies too, but in like a kind of more serious way. But and in the early nineties, in one year, he was great. He did um, Freaked and Frankenstein. In, I think it was 93, and he played two very different roles, and he was great in both of that. He played the monster, uh, Frankenstein's monster, in the TNT version, um, which came out like a year before the De Niro. Okay, I was going to say. Yeah. Because that was also a TV version, right? The De Niro one? Yeah. No, that was... Um, that was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? Yeah, that was like supposed to be the big follow-up to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. Um, okay. Kenneth for some, directed it. For some reason, I always thought that that was a TV version. I must have been thinking of this other TV, this TV version with Randy Quaid. That Which is about. really a really good version of it. Um, but then, like, I mean, he's done. He was supposed to be in Rain Man. Rain Man before it was Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. It was supposed to be Dennis and Randy Quaid, actual brothers, hmm. and Randy Quaid was going to play Raymond or Rain Man, and like, <laughs> which is an odd thing to imagine yeah that that is uh, um that's crazy but like and he was in like brokeback mountain just a couple years out or a few years after pluto nash and then now he's just crazy and he's like he's he's also really good in uh, independence day that's right that's another one he you know and it's an interesting role but um i think he's really great in it but like now he thinks i'm the... fly i'm pilot <laughs> it's really funny but now he thinks the government is after him. Yeah, and now you hear about like his him and his is... wife are just like kind of just batshit. They tried to go to Canada, but Canada didn't want them or something, so they sent them back to America. Yeah, I don't, what... I don't, I don't know. I didn't, re- I didn't read too much about. It got going weird. On. So I, yeah, I stopped following it. Um, and that other guy from Independence Day was in this, the James something. Yeah, the um, I don't know the actor's name, but he, in uh, Independence Day, he played like the um, he was more of like a of a of a bad guy. He, he was part of the uh, the president's cabinet. He wanted uh, to use nuclear weapons on the aliens, but the president didn't want to. And at the end of the movie, he's like, "You're fired." James Rebhorn. Mm. This is his name. He was also in Meet the Parents, Send of a Woman, and The Game. Yeah, he plays a uh, more of like a villainous role in, uh, in Pluto Nash as well. He's good in that kind of role. And Peter Boyle had a small role. Yep. He was 
killed kind of sudden like he saw it coming but like he was like shot in the back and he did like that was it was kind of shocking it's like oh here's this character that i don't know everybody likes peter boyle i mean he's dead now <laughs> i don't know um yeah. and like eddie murphy's friend who was running the bar with him in the early scenes like we didn't even really think of it while watching the movie but like i guess he dies in an explosion in the explosion yeah because you never He's working he's at the there. bar, he's and then down, he's working these... down there, like where the bomb is, basically, yeah. and uh, then explodes, and then you never see him again. There's not a scene they never where t- they never tell you that he's dead, or like Pluto Nash just kind of stops, and he's like, you know, that was my best friend, or something like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but he apparently knows him well enough to send Rosario Dawson up to the office, and hmm. I don't know, like. So, yeah, I mean, the big question that we kind of had after finishing the movie was, like, why didn't people go see the movie? I mean, I remember seeing the trailers, and it was, like, I wasn't interested. But, I mean, I don't know. I've got a list here of, uh, the, the movie came out August 16th, 2002. Okay. So, I've got a list of, of what was big at the box office at that time. All right. So this is this is the the box office breakdown of that from that weekend. Number one um, movie of the weekend was Triple X with Vin Diesel. I haven't seen it. I've never really wanted to see it, even though it does have Ozzy Argento in it. But. Yeah, I when it came out, I had no desire to see it. I was just like, ugh, that looks. It got terrible. her on I'm the like... cover of uh, Rolling Stone, which that I never thought she would be on the cover of Rolling Stone, which that was cool. Mm-hmm. But. Number two was Signs. Okay, that makes the sense. Shyamalan, the Shyamalan, you know, follow up. I, I went to go see that in the theater. Yeah. Um, number three was Blue Crush. I haven't. Don't want to see it. Yep, so. no desire. That's the surfing, like. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Number four was Spy Kids Two: The Island of Lost Dreams. Big, you know, you get you gotta have yeah. your family friendly kind of movie in there. Number five was Austin Powers in Goldmember. So there's, you know, Austin Little Powers. Little Nash didn't have a chance. Now this is, like I said, this was its opening weekend. We're already five down the list. Yeah. And it's not, it's not there yet. Number six, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Okay. <laughs> Number seven, Blood Work, which I don't <laughs> know what that is. Yeah, you do. Wait, oh, is that a Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Oh, okay. Don't right. you have that? Um, that's where he's on the boat, or he ha- he lives in like a houseboat or something, right? No, I don't have it. Oh, okay. I have a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, but I don't have that. Um, number eight, Road to Perdition. Good movie. Number nine, The Master of Disguise. <laughs> is. It- is that Dana Carvey? That's Dana Carvey's... Uh... That's where that turtle, turtle thing comes from. That... Yep, yep. So, okay. I didn't realize that it would be that... I didn't think anybody ever saw that movie. I thought everybody just quoted the commercial. More people huh. saw that movie on opening weekend of Pluto Nash than people did go see Pluto Nash. Why? Number 10. The Adventures of Pluto Nash. It opened at number 10. That is insanity. After Blue Crush. Like, what? You know what? 
9-11. You can believe 9-11. <laughs> that, I mean, maybe, you know, like, people just weren't ready for Pluto and Ash the summer after 9-11. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but we can blame everything else on it, so why not Pluto and Ash? And but what? I mean, like, is the, oh, man. there must have been stuff out there, like, when a movie comes out, if it's been on a shelf for two years, yeah. people often talk about that. So it's like, oh, this new movie is coming out this weekend, but it was supposed to come out two years ago. But, so I mean, did the like, casual oh, audience suck. really know that? I don't know. <clears throat> I didn't know that. I mean, it must have just come down to, like, just horrible marketing. I mean, I was confusing it with Osmosis Jones. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true, yeah. I thought it was a movie about Bill Murray with little people inside of him. Um, it did look like Eddie Murphy was a superhero in space. Like, yeah, that is what I totally. Thought it that's was. what I thought it was. Like I so, and it's not that at all. It's no. more of a. Oh, what, what what would you kind of say? It's got like a like a mafia kind of element, crime, organized crime, set on the moon, kind of like almost like a noir. Yeah. It's not really, you know, it has like the, you know, cheesy lounge singer and like, it has like, it's more of a noir. It takes, you know, he's got this, like the bar owner, you know, they should have angled it more like that noir in space. Yeah. But if they did advertise it that way, then people would go in and be like, this isn't space noir, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not space superhero. Right, it's that maybe that's the problem. It wasn't really any one thing, so there wasn't anything to like, mm. like just. But the movie feels so familiar. Like I feel like I've seen movies like it. Before. Yeah. But when I think about it, I'm like, I can't, I can't put my finger on what else I could compare it to. But you've seen movies where a boy and girl meet. And then all of a sudden something dangerous happens and they have to go on the run and they get to know each other and fall in love. And by the end, they defeat a villain. The Terminator. Tons of shit. Like, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I was just, that was the first one that popped into my mind for some reason. I mean, the ending is a little different with the Terminator. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's... I don't, I, and again, maybe it's just Cutthroat Island, but The Adventures of Pluto Nash is, it's a decent film. Yeah, it's not like. It's not in like the top. Anything. 5,000 movies <laughs> ever made. Or, nope. Or 50,000, but it's better than other movies I've seen. So what the hell? Where was everybody that weekend? I, ju I just told you. <laughs> They were going to see the Master of Disguise. I feel like. Well, War. what was, what was number one? What did you say number one was? Triple X. And what was, what did it make that weekend? Um, because I feel like, maybe they're low numbers. Maybe a lot of people just didn't go that weekend. Uh, like what was I doing that weekend? I think I was at the Washington County Fair. I didn't have time to go see a movie. On on uh, on Friday on that day that it premiered not the not the weekend total but that day it made just over seven million triple x did oh, okay well never mind 
um, Pluto Nash on its opening day <laughs> made less than $730,000. That's pathetic. Yep. The fuck is that? Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and even below Pluto Nash, it was still up against movies like Men in Black 2, Born Identity, Minority Report, Star Wars Episode 2, 24-hour party people. That's in the top, like, 20? or Yeah, it's um 19. So I feel like Pluto Nash probably got a wide release. 24-hour party people, that was like... I don't think that played anywhere around here. That was like maybe down in New York City and LA and stuff like that. So I don't think it premiered that weekend. Probably, um, maybe it did. I don't know. But um, but even a lot of these movies down here premiered earlier, but we're still in theaters and people. Right, still but going. I mean, like that wasn't a movie that like, like it was in the top twenty, and it wasn't even like a wide release. And like Pluto Nash should have been like, oh, that's the big movie this weekend, right. and like it didn't. It was like I mean. It, there are a lot of big movies like out at the time like Fellowship of the Ring was still playing which that's crazy because that came out in 2001 that came out in like at the end of 2001 Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring this is August 2002 and it's still it's the last one on the list at number 20 30 that's also the time when there was more time between a film being in theaters and its release on home, home video. Yeah. Cause now sometimes they're out on DVD the same day they're in theaters, which is, it's rare. Um, but like often they're still in theaters and the DVD comes out. Oh until, yeah. Until a few years ago, there was a rule, uh, at the Oscars. Like if it's already had a home video release, you're disqualified. Yeah. It's, it's not considered for yeah, that's any Oscars. That, yeah. That doesn't even make any sense. So, like, people would, like, hold off. <laughs> but now it's just, like, you can't... They realize, like, people are losing money yeah. if we do that, so... The whole industry is suffering. Yeah. I mean, there are... At Amy's, um... There are plenty of movies that we still run. Um, well, maybe not plenty, but there's been at least a couple occasions where... We'll have a movie still in theaters, and the DVD was out like a month ago, yeah. and we're still playing it, and people are still going to see it in the theater, mm. um, which proves like you know people are still wanting that theater experience. And Amy's is if, not an if, expensive if, place to see a movie. Also. No, and you get a, you get you know you pay five fifty for the ticket and you get a meal, so yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I remember um, the Meryl Streep. Uh, film the Iron Lady mm. um, where she's playing uh, Margaret Thatcher that movie we had running for so long weeks and weeks and weeks and the DVD came out and we still played it for like so I don't even know how like a month and a half after the DVD was out and people were still like filling the theaters um, so yeah I mean I look at that and I say there, I mean, there will always definitely be a place for, for the theater, movie theater experience. This is that's a totally different discussion. But <laughs> was the Iron Lady a good movie? Because I stayed away from it because it was about that horrible thing, Margaret Thatcher. Right. Um, 
Um, like, it's a, it was an interesting movie because it kind of was like um, it it wasn't like a straight narrative. It kind of like jumped around a lot, and you were seeing things like she like you were jumping around in her sort of timeline. We were sort of flashing back and flashing forward, and we were seeing like hallucinations that she was seeing later in life, and she was like recalling things kind of differently. And it was I don't know, it was uh, it was kind of interesting in that way. Which I I wasn't expecting at all. Um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Well, I'm just glad she's dead now. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I just. So, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up Pluto and Ash. Um. So next week is last week in January. We're finishing our box office bomb month. <sighs> Which I didn't think it was going to be as much of a chore as it has been. Um, like I feel like thinking back on this month, like I feel like I haven't watched any real movies <laughs> so far. Talking about bad movies can be fun, but when you actually have to sit and watch them, it's not as fun. <sighs> and I mean, there are fun bad movies. Yeah, I don't mean bad movies like, oh, it's cheesy and, like, Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, bad movies, like, there's no, like, like, all right. The Bluebird had some good points to it. The Adventures of Pluto Nash was a fun movie. But a bad movie like Cutthroat Island, that's just, it's just bad. Like, it doesn't need to exist. Stay away from it. People call (laughs) Plan 9 from Outer Space a bad movie. They don't, they haven't seen Cutthroat Island. (laughs) Like, Planet from Outer Space is an entertaining film. You can That's watch true. that film and you can have a great time. Yeah, they say like Plan Nine is like the worst movie ever made. It's bullshit. That is total bullshit because, and clearly like that movie has far more longevity than Cutthroat Island ever will have. And it's full of ideas. Mm-hmm. And it's full. You can feel Cutthroat Island was. It seems to be made like, oh, let's make some money. How do you make money? Let's make a movie. Like that's what it felt like. Plan Nine from Outer Space was like, how do you lose money? You make Cutthroat Island. (laughs) Plan Nine from Outer Space was like, these people are making fun. Yeah, they're so passionate about film. We don't need money. They don't even care. They're just gonna do it. They're gonna go out and do it no matter what. And like, and that that will always be admired. You know, people will always admire that. Yeah, and that exuberance like comes across when you're watching it, and like. I mean, the people will always watch Plan 9 yeah. because for that reason, you know? Um, Just like 80 years from now, people will still be watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show on the moon. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which, that was such a random detail. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I see, you know, Trip to the Moon, we're seeing that. Yeah. You know, the, those 11 seconds, apparently. La Voyage de la Lune. Uh, looped on a big screen because it's because we're on the moon, so Why we got to watch, you know, Trip to the Moon. Um, but why Rocky Horror Picture yeah, Show? Yeah, there's like this marquee that says Rocky Horror Picture Show, midnight showing. And like, it's weird. Yeah. There's but, this kind of strange obsession with like movies that take place in the future to like show that to bring things back from the past. Like in Back to the Future Part Two, where it's like Jaws Part Twenty. Right. Something, like it's very. Whatever. It's like there's something comforting to know that like. The things that we care about now, like we'll still care about in the future. Like America Online. Yeah, all the, <laughs> there are a few AOL references 
AOL Lunar Edition. Um, just dates the movie pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, even just like the shot of um, when Eddie Murphy and Rosario Dawson are like watching that old gangster movie. Angel, Angels with Dirty Faces. Is that what they're watching? Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. There's something about, like, seeing people in the future watching a movie from our past that is somehow comforting in some way to people, I think. Yeah, they're watching a film that, to them, is 150 years old. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Back to the Future was a hundred years old to them. Almost. Wait, when was it? Twenty eighty or twenty? Well, the movie, the most of the movie takes place in twenty eighty seven. That's right. I was thinking twenty seventy seven for some reason. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, so I think that's that's Pluto Nash. I think we have done Pluto Nash. Um, so next week we got more modern, the the the, the most modern movie so far, um, John Carter. So hopefully that'll that'll um, be enjoyable. I hear it's good. I think, you know, I mean, we're. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to be going back to Cutthroat <coughs> Cutthroat Island quite a lot um, going forward. It really has set the bar for. It's a whole. It's, it, it's scarred us. It's terrible. We're never gonna forget Cutthroat Island. But anyway, so that's next time on Talking Movies. So, thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time. Let's go visit a place that's beyond the sky Hop in a spaceship and don't even blink your eyes Look out the window and see All the stars, planets, Saturn, Venus, Jupiter, and Mars I'm gonna take you on a universal ride with me On the dance floor, girl, just you and me Explore the future while I got you here by my side On the space ride